This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividends so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this episode. We've had a big week of content this week, all centered around the IPO process. You know, I'm loving learning about this process and speaking to some of the CEOs involved in this process. So today's episode is going to continue that and I'm very excited to get stuck in. Absolutely, Ren. We are going to be doing more content around IPOs and the process going forward. If you haven't already listened to the episodes that Ren was just referring to towards the start of this week, make sure you go and do as we really delve into the process that companies can go through leading up to an IPO. And then what we want to do is actually go out and speak to some of the companies that are going through the process themselves, which is why in today's episode, we are going to unpack Geffen Technologies with the co-founder and co-CEO, Orni Daniel. Orni, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So Geffen are about to IPO. And as I said, what we want to do in this episode is get an idea of the journey of the company Geffen Technologies, what they want to IPO for and expose you to the information that you might otherwise find difficult to find. So Orni, very much looking forward to unpacking all of that. But I guess before we do, perhaps are you able to introduce yourself and give us a bit of a background as to how you came to be CEO of Geffen? So I am... Born and raised in Israel. I'm 44 years old. I have uh, three beautiful kids, age 11, 9, and 7. Started my career, my professional career, in the Army. You hear it's a mandatory. The Air Force picked me, and I finished up as a fighter pilot. I fly F-15, by the way, still do, on reserve. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's my third company 
already. Uh, to be honest, we started off this journey as a global e-commerce and we've developed the next phase was the developing the platform, the technology for our own needs. And then we realized that there was a much larger market that we could serve. So we have shifted uh, towards serving enterprises and independent brokers, advisors. So this is how we ended up with this uh, company. It's a long journey. I must say a very successful one. That's basically it. Orny, where do you find the time to launch three companies, have three kids and fly fighter planes? <laughs> yeah, I'll surprise you. It doesn't happen all on the same day. So I've been flying for uh, 25 years already. You're right. If I wouldn't have uh, the support of my family, it would be much difficult. But they're used to it. They were all by, I, I married my wife when she, I was already a pilot. I was a deputy squadron commander when we, we got married. So they're used to my roller coaster life and they have their support and I'm blessed for that. So Orni, the way we want to structure this conversation is in the first part of the conversation, understand what Geffen is and, and what you do there. And then in the second part of the conversation, really get stuck into the IPO process. And I think for a number of listeners, they would have picked up, you know, you're, you're based in Israel, but you're listing halfway across the world in Australia. So we're interested to understand you know, why the ASX and what attracted you to Australia. But we'll, we'll get to that later. So I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that haven't heard of Geffen Technologies before. So maybe if we can start at the very beginning, what is Geffen and, and what do you do there? So Geffen Technologies is a digital platform provider that empowers and transforms agents-based networks in sectors like insurance, finance, real estate, electronics, pharmaceutical, health, etc. Basically, any sector that needs to have the mediator layer, the level of the advisors, agents, and brokers. You mentioned there that you started the company because uh, you realized it was something you needed. So what is the problem that Geffen is actually solving here? Why do we need Geffen Technologies? Yes, very good question. So to, in order to understand, let's look at the environment that we're living at. So for non-complex products, commodities, we don't need the mediator's layer. We don't need the advisors or the agents. Amazon and the like sold it all digitally. For complex products, life insurance, savings, or buying a house, for example, we do need the mediators, the advisors. And why? We need their expertise to explain us, the customers, what we need exactly and what could fit our needs. Now to the problem. How do they communicate or interact with us? Has that changed in the last 20 years? Hardly. Those advisors are not digital experts nor tech savvies. So not only they need to fit to the customer's expectations to evolve digitally, they also need to be fully compliant, communicate according to the regulation and represent well the respected brands, the carriers. Just to clarify, the platform, it's not replacing agents in the, the sales process of products like you know life insurance and stuff like that, but it's actually a platform to help them better communicate digitally with potential customers. Is, is that correct? Absolutely. It's empowering them. So we believe for complex products, I mean, we're, there is a lot of uh, evolution in the process, but we, biological-wise, uh, uh, we don't evolve. Information-wise, we do get more information, but we don't have as individuals uh, and customers all the, all the expertise needed for any issue or topic in the world. So we do need the experts in some complex products to advise us. 
So we believe they're here and here to stay. But the way they work needs to be shifted. You're competing with some pretty big platforms around the world that help, you know, salespeople and agents, you know, track their sales and sales product. I guess I'm going to ask you this in a way that lets you uh, give us the elevator pitch for Geffen. How are you solving this problem better than some of those other platforms or what's unique or better about Geffen? So we've built a flexible platform and you're right, we're not really competing with the sales uh, enablers. So we have built a hybrid platform that on one hand, it is enterprise grade to be fully operated by the enterprise professional employees. These, you have a lot of enterprise grade softwares. But on the other hand, the advisors, the agents that are not professional employees. So they get an app that is like a consumer product, meaning no learning curve, nor education process. So if you have a smartphone and you know how to text a message, you're good to go. Just like if you're buying a new iPhone, for example, you don't get an Apple team to come and go with you through the process, unlike enterprise uh, software. So we're kind of a hybrid platform. All the data, content, communication in all digital channels are driven automatically and smoothly in a cycled loop from the carrier, the brands, through the agents to the customers. Now, the data is being analyzed automatically and an optimization process is happening at the back office. So the agents and advisors are being empowered with everything that is being automatically personalized to them and to their customers. It saves them a lot of time. And for the first time, it allows them to appear in all digital channels the customers would expect them to be. It improves their productivity dramatically and allows them to better serve the customers. Now, at the end of the day, when they get you know, better and positive feedback from the customers, it improves their relationship and engagement. We've built a platform so it can fit any org structure in any sector, in any size and scale, from an enterprise that sells their products and services through hundreds of thousands of agents in tens of different countries, all the way down to an independent broker working on his own. The, problem, the platform fits all with an ability to go live within days. I believe that's what sets us apart from other enterprise softwares. So Oni, that's a bit about what Geffen does and how you are sort of solving that problem better than some of the, your competitors. I guess one of the other important aspects to consider for those who would be looking to invest in companies that are coming to market is to get an understanding of where you actually are in your business cycle. What has been sort of the growth story to get to here? How is revenue growing? Traction, customers? Is it a global application? Are you able to just sort of start and talk us through the growth story? Yeah, sure. So we're in a high growth phase meaning we have customers in almost every continent and we're expanding our customers base globally. I can tell you that our focus is in Southeast Asia. If I may say something positive about the pandemic today is that it has accelerated the world transformation. A digital transformation that would take five to 10 years has been done in three months. So every good cloud technology company that is providing remote working or remote communication is getting today an increased demand. And so do we. This is exactly what we're providing. We see a lot of demand from all sizes of companies. With regards to revenues, we have increased around almost 500% from 2019 to 2020. And we're continuing this high growth phase. One aspect of analyzing companies and uh, understanding companies is management. And it's something that as retail investors, you know, Bryce and I and a lot of our listeners, it's somewhat difficult to, you know, 
get a CEO like yourself on the phone to talk to them about their management style and how they're managing their company. So given we've got you on the podcast, we would be interested to sort of unpack how you think about managing you hope will one day be a massive multinational company. So I guess maybe if we start, you know, start quite broad, do you have a sort of management philosophy that you apply in your leadership role at Geffen and how do you apply it across a business that spans the world? Very good question. A DNA or a company's DNA, I think, is super important and something that every company has a DNA. Either you are working to make a specific DNA or it is a DNA that was created by the way that the management was handling things. As a person who was professionally raised in the Israeli Air Force, we regularly look and examine if we need to change aspects in our management, in our processes. We're not artists in a way that this is what we've done and that's the best. We like it. So we put as a, a role, we put ego outside the room. We don't let ego uh, interfere. We will never hire people, even if they are so-called superstars, with ego that we believe will uh, damage their teamwork. We, we have a phrase that uh, unlike uh, you know, choosing the Pope, we don't, if we're sitting uh, seven people at the management, in a management meeting, and we're trying to decide on something, it's not if we're okay, if we have seven uh, votes for it, so then we have a white smoke and we're going for it. So all the decision processes are being analyzed towards the results at the field level. We're used to working with externals, with external investors, keeping them up to date. So I would say we're super ambitious, but modest to how we need to handle things or whether we need to adjust ourselves this going through a, from a private company to a public company is a, is a process that we need to support. The management needs to support. We need to look at ourselves and see what elements, not only technical elements that we need to do to, to be complied with the ASX rules, but also to see whether this would fit to the type of new company, which is type of being public. So this is our DNA. We're very proud about our DNA and the philosophy uh, we're working and recruiting and working according to our uh, philosophy. Yeah, it's interesting, Orni. I'd be keen to understand, do all of the management and or board, I guess, have actual shares in the company or how is that structured somewhat? Yes, of course. Everyone has a shares in the company. We believe that the company's success should be shared across the, across the board. Not only management, each and every employee has shares in the company. Oh, wow. Yes. How many employees do you have? Yeah, so at the moment we have 110, which are uh, based in Israel, India, Germany. And we are going to open a local branch in the region, in Southeast Asia, after a uh, post-listing. So yes, this is sub part of our DNA. Everyone has shares in the company. Wow. And is that something that you see continuing or is that, you know, once you IPO, see what happens? Yes, I believe it's part of your DNA that the people are working. First, I believe the main driver for, you know, motivator for people is not only the compensation, it's about the challenge, it's about the aspiration, the vision, that they need to uh, believe in, doing good and understanding. And then when going to compensation, understanding when you're working 
good, I mean, your best to be able to perform, not only to get your paycheck at the end of the month, but also to see the success, to see your impact within the company and to be able to be part of it. I think it's important. We're keen to move to the IPO process and how you decided, you know, now is the right time to IPO and why you decided to IPO in Australia. But before we do, I just want to ask one question about Israel. It feels like the number of startups coming out of Israel is pretty incredible for the size of the country. I recently read a book, Startup Nation, about Israel. And and for people who haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. What's it like being an entrepreneur and a founder in Israel and specifically in Tel Aviv? It feels like there's a lot happening over there at the moment. Yes, you're right. So the Israeli startup was founded in 1948. So we are uh, rather in a growth stage, Israel, I mean, (laughs) is a very uh, compared, you know, to other uh, countries, obviously, I would say as a company, which is geography wise is very small. I believe the human capital is one of our assets, the need for innovation, the need for thinking out of the box. You know, if you even look at the the Israeli Air Force, it's so small compared to other, you know, other countries, Air Forces. And, you know, it's branding is because this is how you're being educated. Innovate, take responsibility, be accountable, don't fear, be bold. And while, you know, combining all those aspects and being educated since you're very small, I think it's a melting pot of ideas, a lot of motivation where people want to excel. So it's an environment which you can find uh, highly talented people, motivated. You don't need to be a motivation driver for that. They have it inherited. So I think it's a good uh, atmosphere to work on. Yeah, it it definitely sounds like that. And, And reading that book, that really came through. But we've got you on here to talk about the IPO process for Geffen. So we're keen to get stuck into that. And I guess if we start at the beginning and the decision to IPO, you know, you're a growing company, you've got over 100 employees now, and you're growing your sales. Can you take us sort of into the room in your management meetings when, you know, you were floating the idea of actually becoming a public company? What were sort of the factors that you considered and what was it that ultimately led you to decide that now was the right time to IPO? Yeah, sure. So we have reached a stage where we had a discussion about what would be the right next step for our company. When taking in mind the following parameters, supporting high growth, as you said, providing transparency for large enterprises, and also supporting M&A opportunities that we have designated, we believe that going public was the right natural even next step on our journey. Fair enough. And I guess the second question is, you decided to IPO in Australia with no employees or no, you know, no field office in Australia. So what was decision making process to decide that Australia and the Australian Stock Exchange was the right place to list? Yeah. So like for every, a lot of uh, Israeli companies, although you are originated in, in, in Israel, your markets are out there. Okay. We're a global company. Uh, as I said, our main focus is in uh, Southeast Asia. Is they are the largest multinational enterprises. And it seems that in Asia, organizations and even individuals tend to adopt technologies faster. We had a plan to open a local branch in the region to serve uh, closer our customers in the region. Now, what we've learned about the ASX was that it's among the top 10 stock exchanges in the world, among the most growing ones. 
with growing interest in last years in technological companies. It even launched a tech index in late February this year. So for us, it was a perfect fit combining all those parameters. It feels like there's a lot of Israeli companies listing on the ASX. I remember one back in the day, Sky and Space Global, which I believe was also founded by a former Israeli uh, fighter pilot. So maybe it's something about fighter pilots wanting to uh, list over in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I don't even know uh, the person. I wouldn't say there are a lot of companies. There were uh, Israeli companies that uh, when I would say the ASX have opened uh, their gates to technological companies and they were looking for, you know, competing with seed rounds. So naturally, a lot of innovation and technology companies comes from Israel. So there were companies who came. I believe today the ASX have raised the bar for looking for more mature companies with growing revenues, being global, selling globally. This is what really attracted us, the level of maturity of companies that are now being welcomed. And that's really the reason. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So, Orni, we understand that obviously the IPO process can range from anywhere, you know, three years down to a few months, depending on the, the situation of the company and how quickly they can get things in place as also as well as, you know, how established they are and have processes and systems to support sort of becoming a public company. I'm just wondering, has there been any sort of surprises during the IPO process for you that you thought either, you know, wouldn't be part of the process or took longer than expected or was much more enjoyable than you thought? I'm interested to know sort of how you found that period. Very good question. You know, when you asked me about the, our DNA, So part of our DNA is that we know we don't know, okay? So I knew we don't know about the the process in Australia specifically or going public at all. To be honest, so far, we didn't have any surprises during the IPO process. And I think it is very much stands for the investment vector that you choose and your relationship with him, setting the expectations, talking openly in detail about the process and the coming steps. For us, it was important to make a short process. Otherwise, you know, it's it's a management focus and, and attention that you need to uh, spend on the process rather than on other things. So for us, it was a very fast. We've done our 
pre-IPO roadshow late February. And then because of the COVID, I visited Australia just before the gates were closed. And then we paused for almost three months. And we were back on track. Within a month, we have secured our pre-IPO with Cornerstone investors, uh, Regal and Ellerstone. And it was heavily oversubscribed. And we're now working on a prospectus. We're going to be listed before the year ends, around November. So, Oni, I'm interested in following up on um, the length of the process. You mentioned that you wanted it to be quite short because if it was a longer process, management's focus would be on the IPO. In this sort of week of IPO-related content, we've actually had someone come on and tell us the complete opposite view that they think an IPO should be a long sort of 24-month process to get ready. So I'm interested if, if you can sort of expand on your thinking around why a short process from your perspective was the right process for Geffen and exactly like how short are we talking? Obviously, COVID has lengthened the time. If COVID wasn't around, I guess, how short would you have wanted the process to be? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I would say it depends what you, would you define as a process. So the decision to go public, it took us some you know, internal meetings for some months when we thought about our next uh, phase. Once we've decided that we're going to do it, then it was rather quick. Without the COVID, I believe we would we had plans to uh, list around June or July this year. And we've uh, signed you know, we, with our investment banker around December or early January. And before that, we have uh, met him uh, in person in, in Israel. So it really depends what would you define as process. Okay, what I meant wasn't about the decision to whether to remain public to, or to remain a private or to go public, but whether once the decision was taken, how long the process will take you, because then it needs to have a lot of focus and, and intention, you know, to do the actions to go public. So this, I believe, should be as shortened as possible, as long as your company is more or less ready to go public, you know, and you don't need to uh, reorganize everything. Yeah, I want to pick up on that there, Orni. Were there any sort of changes that you had to make to your business to prepare for becoming public? Or did you, you obviously, it sounds like you felt that you were very much at a scale and a size and had enough sort of things in place that you were operating somewhat as a public company would anyway. We did had to change the way we report our financials to comply with the IRS rules. Obviously, we will make sure that the entire business is in governance and fully compliant to the regulation and the ASX. However, I can say that as a company that builds a platform to support and help organizations and individuals to be fully compliant with changing rules and regulations in different countries, we're quite used to fitting a specific set of rules, making sure all departments are aligned. And yes, you know, reaching the side of the company and we didn't have to change a lot. Okay, it was just uh, some technical aspects to be aligned with specific uh, ASX rules, but more or less we, we've been managing a company that we've planned ahead, whether it was going to be public or not, how it needs to be managed properly. So Oni, you mentioned the roadshow there and um, the fact that your IPO is oversubscribed, which is great. So congratulations on that. I'm interested to know how the process changed You know, from what you thought it was going to be when you first met your investment bankers in December to what it had to be because of COVID. I imagine, you know, you were planning to literally get on the road and 
meet you know different investment banks and different investors face to face i assume that couldn't have happened so what was the covid adjusted roadshow like so we did have a chance in late february to meet some of the people I believe the fact that cornerstone investors have really like a, a Regal Funds and Ellerstone Capital have joined is helping in a way to introduce to new investors a network. I believe the COVID has some positive aspects if we're talking about the roadshow, because then we can do a virtual roadshow, which saves a lot of time and capital to meet the investors. There, you know, people, deals are being done and signed without being physically met, I believe it's a positive sign that transactions could happen virtually. Will that replace totally, you know, the, the physical meetings? No, but it's a combination and it, is a, it has accelerated the transformation. And I think for a positive way for that sense, once the gates will be opened, obviously I'll be on the first, uh, I'll jump on the first plane to come. Um, I want to be close to the Australian market, to the Australian investors. It's part of a relationship you need to establish. Well, you can just fly over in your fighter plane, can't you, Orny? <laughs> <laughs> I just need uh, some air refueling, but that's okay. <laughs> so obviously one of the main reasons that companies choose to go public is to get access to a whole bunch of investors. So what is it that you actually want to use the capital for when you do go public? Yeah, so we're planning to increase our sales and success teams to support our high growth and increased demand. Obviously, we'll continue to improve our platform with new and exciting features, enhancing the options and opportunities for the agents, the advisors, and the enterprises as well to continue and excel, even when there is a lockdown or other limitations, regardless in one country or area they're in. We will also use it for M&As that will help strengthen our offering and our reach. And there are a lot of opportunities out there and we're working already hard to designate. And I believe this is a big part of why we're, uh, we intend to go public. So Oni, I imagine the IPO process had a number of challenges. Can you maybe talk to anything that you found challenging through this process and sort of how you got through it? I believe it is choosing the right investment banker. Obviously, you can meet them all, and there are a lot of aspects in the IPO process that which you aren't aware of, so you need to heavily rely on. We've tried to get as many references as possible, not only to have the IPO process well organized and to have a successful IPO, but also looking long-term to have the right setup. We believe the IPO is a milestone in our journey. More importantly, a first step in the public journey. So if you have the right investment banker, then most of the of the challenges you can look ahead of them and you're prepared to handle them so on that when you say finding the right investment banker what do you makes the right investment banker to me it was important for him to be a long-term thinker and viewer not only to support the ipo but also to continue and support our first year, two years to see that we are on the right setup. To me, it was important that it was super organized. We could have clarity to the process, that we could have clarity to the challenges ahead, that we had enough time to get prepared. It was important for me to see, like I said, that ego wasn't managing the process and there was really aligned with the company's interests, having presenting us to even other brokers 
to share, maybe to increase the uh, investors' network that we're going to be exposed to. And, you know, being able to see that he's as if he was part of our uh, management team for this time of uh, the company's period, for sure. But also to see that, you know, fitting to the DNA, that we could speak openly about things we don't know and we aren't aware of. So, Orni, you mentioned there the importance of the investment banker and having sort of a long-term position and a view. And, you know, it is a, a long journey and going public, I assume you also have intentions to see this out for the long term. Do you think that management style, your management style will have to change when you go to becoming a public company? Like I said, we are regularly look and examine if we need to change aspects uh, in our management style or in our processes. We know that there will be things that might be different. And as a company that goes to be a public company, we're going to carefully look for things that demand a change to make it a smooth move for being public. We intend to be close to the Australian investors, visit regularly, have local presence. To be honest, I believe it is a relationship. It needs to be well-built, developed for the long term. This is how we treat it. So yes, I'm sure things around how we do things will naturally change, as in every good relationship, right? Yeah. Well, when you come to Australia, we'll have to uh, definitely meet up, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, Orni, for people who are interested in following your journey to actually listing, um, there's probably two key pieces of information that they'd be wondering at this point. And I actually don't know if you, you have them yet. So, Apologies if I'm jumping the gun a little here, but do you know what date you'll be listing and do you have a ticker code that people will be able to search for Geffen through? Yeah, so the ticker code will be GFN, stands for Geffen. We don't have a specific date yet because we haven't lodged the prospectus yet. We're, we intend to lodge it until the end of October and we will be listing before the year ends. So it will be around late November. Okay, great. Well, uh, people I'm sure will be marking their calendar and uh, looking forward to seeing when GFN lists. So I guess, you know, it's an exciting process for, for yourself and, and for the company. It sounds like, you know, the, the journey to date has been very successful and it feels like you've got, you know, big ambitions for, you know, you were mentioning M&A activity and to, to grow. I guess uh, maybe to sum up the conversation about Geffen and where you're at, when you think about the company and when you think sort of, you know, five years out, 10 years out, where do you see Geffen or where do you want Geffen to be in this market? Yeah, so I see Geffen as a disruptor to all the sectors and fields where there are agent-based networks. We see our responsibility of breaking the glass ceiling for individuals so you know you are you are where you are. It's a it's a combination of your life circumstances, where you were born, how you've been raised, what education you've got, and I believe that in today's when technology is being provided as commodity, we can really empower individuals and change that equation. Meaning that we will be able to make more individuals without having them being educated to make, to have more productive life, productive compensation, balanced life. And if you're able to get one smile when an individual goes back home, not after struggling their day and uh, going back home with a smile and 
honey, I'm home, then it's something that you give back to the society. Like you said, we are long-term thinkers and we are here until we make that happen globally. Nice one. I like that ambition. Hmm. Thank you. We always like to end these interviews with three final questions. So as we get to them, they won't be related to Geffen specifically, but we're interested to get your views and your thoughts on them. So the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? Yeah, to be honest, I believe you can master fields only when you combine knowledge from different doctrines. I read biographies, philosophical books, behavioral economics, science, I love to change and shift between them. I love to read also about successful companies' documentary books, to read about a challenge they faced along their way, to pause reading and try to solve the challenge myself. I can think about it for two weeks without continuing reading. Think about it. You get a chance to solve conceptually big challenges and you don't pay for failing if not being solved properly. Fair enough. So do you have any specific titles or maybe something that you're reading now? My last struggle will be these days, uh, Son Tzu's The Art of War. And I'm trying to, I'm sure you heard about it. It's a classic. I'm trying to see whether I combine elements from that to how we run business, how we look at business from a broader perspective. Fair enough. So the second question that we like to ask is, uh, what's your go-to source for financial or economic information? First, I would say, personally, I invest in fields that I believe that I believe have a global impact. I believe in long-term impact. I believe in disruption, as I believe as a person who was wave surfer since the age of 13 until I uh, went to the army at the age of 18. I believe today we live in a unique era where many aspects of our daily life and routines are changing. Like where, you know, we are sitting on our board, but below, beneath us there is a tsunami wave. Just in 20, 30 years, our kids, when they'll be grown up, they will see it and they will recognize it. Just think of the way we communicate compared to 10 years ago. Think of the way information is delivered. Who goes to the library today? Who communicates only when outdoors or physically uh, today? So I like to read about disruptive companies or fields, and then I like to explore it before I invest. The final question, if you think back to your earlier days, you know, when you were when you were surfing or when you were just starting out in the Air Force, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yes. So I will tell you a little story. I had a calm and happy childhood until the age of 18. I was surfing. I was quite okay at school. And the age of age 18, I joined the army just like an Israeli. Three months after I finished the flight academy, my mother passed away out of the blue at the age of 49. I was mom's kid. I felt as if I was standing at a cliff, literally thinking what to do with my life. I decided that I will take nothing for granted. I will not continue do something same as yesterday just because, you know, that's life. I will constantly question whether doing the right thing and will look to improve. I'm setting my own goals. I aim where I want to be. I listen to nobody that tries to convince me to stay in the norm. And I find my way to reach and get it. And it relates to all aspects in my life. This is how I live my life. This is what made me achieve success in life. And this is how I try to educate my three amazing kids, which are now age 11, 9, and 7. So I got to this advice at the age of 20 due to this trauma. My kids get it at a younger age. So to answer your question, if uh, when I was younger, someone would have taught me that, I would tell my younger me, listen to him. 
Great piece of advice to finish there on Orny. I think that mindset of always pushing and challenging the norm is certainly a great one to try and work into your daily life. So Orny, thank you for your time with us today. It's been an interesting conversation into what Geffen are doing and then particularly that IPO process. You're one of the first sort of CEO founders that we've spoken to who are going through this process. So appreciate your time on the show today. So I guess good luck with everything that comes and we look forward to putting that. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Orny. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.